0: We are for the church and for the kingdom. This vision drives everything we do. There are many noble causes and institutions in this world, and we care about the future of seminaries, academies, governments, social causes, and parachurch ministries, but they are not fundamentally why we exist. We exist for the future of the church and the advancement of God's kingdom. With God's help, our students today will be the pastors, ministers, and missionaries of the global church tomorrow. We teach the Bible in the classroom so that generations of churches will be sturdy outposts of Christ's kingdom. This is how we serve the church, and this is how we bless every other good and noble endeavor until God's glory covers the earth like the waters cover the sea. Will you join us? Well, good morning, Midwestern Seminary. It is an honor to be with you today. I want to say hi to... All the pastors from around the area that are joining us today for our church planning summit. Uh, Dr. Allen, thank you so much for having me um, and having our team here this week. I've just grown to love this seminary over the last decade. Got so many... Folks here that I respect, uh, Dr. Dusing is right there on the front row, known him for a long time. And uh, back when we were at Texas A&M together, Dr. Allen, Dr. Smith, I could keep going for a long time. Uh, these are men that I've become friends with and uh, respect them greatly. So it's an honor to be here. Um, I was a lead pastor of a church for about 23 years. And about two years ago, I retired from doing that after some health reasons and took the vice president of mobilization at Send Network the North American Mission Board. My job is to go to churches, talk to pastors, talk to church leaders, and help inspire them and remind them that it's our job as pastors and leaders of the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry and remind them that there is, that Midwestern Seminary is not a church planting factory. There's, there's not, in the Southern Baptist Convention, some little factory somewhere where, where church planters and church planting teams and church planting leaders are made and then sent out. But when you really want to look at the scripture, you see that, that people are supposed to leave, be equipped, and then leave the local church and go out and expand the kingdom of God through the power of the Spirit. And so that's what I do is go and talk to pastors and leaders about that. To be looking at the normal people sitting in their pews and have greater dreams for them that they even have for themselves. And we're gonna look at that biblically here in a second, but I wanna invite you to open up your Bibles this morning uh, to the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verse 28. Matthew 6, 28. I'll get there in just a minute. <clears throat> There's a couple of types of people in the room today. There are. Folks in this room this morning that are pastors and Christian leaders, and then there are people in this room that are future pastors and Christian leaders. You're, you're, you're one of the two. Either you're pastoring and leading a church today, or hopefully there is coming a day where you'll pastor or lead somewhere in, in the church or Christianity. And no no disrespect a seminary student, I've, I, was a, I was a seminary student for a really, really long time. It, um, it took me eight years to get my uh, MDiv. Anybody beat that? That's what I thought, all right? So so I'm, uh, I'm, not, I'm not dogging anybody here, and then, then spent a long time getting my DM in, so I've got some experience in these hallowed halls, but here's what I've noticed about seminary students, and I I'm preaching to myself here back when I was one. The talking to seminary students about the difficulties of the pastorate are very similar to um, talking to premarital couples about the difficulties of being married. And, you know, what, people that are laughing right now are the married people. And, like, when you're a pastor or leader, one of the things you're going to get to do is go, you're going to get to probably do some premarital counseling. And this couple will come into your office and they will be looking at each other with googly eyes and very much in love. And then you will try to help them understand, here are the pitfalls you're going to face. Here, Here's going to be some areas of tension probably in your marriage. Here, here's some things that you guys need to be working on now so that these pitfalls don't happen in your marriage. And inevitably, they will look at you and like, like... Like you're an idiot because they'll be thinking in their minds, we're never going to struggle with any of those things because you don't understand our love, right? And then a year later, they come back and they're like, man, I wish I would have listened to you, Pastor Matt. And so I, I think sometimes seminary students are similar. I'm, I'm going to talk about something that I've seen after being a pastor for 23 years and now spending the last two years of my life going and looking at churches and teaching at churches and engaging pastors all over the country. And and it's this, that I think that we as pastors and leaders have gotten just a little bit off track in regards to the calling that Jesus has placed on our lives. And so if you're a future leader of the church, I want you to just listen. And doesn't apply to you right now, but it will. And so that one day you might avoid the pitfall that I'm seeing so many pastors in this country fall into today. Um, man, when when Vance Pittman, who is the president of Sin Network at North American Mission Board, when he took when he took the job, and um, and Noah Oldham preached on this yesterday, but. When Vance took the job, one of the things he did, I'm so appreciative of it, is he laid out the values of Send Network. He said, Here, these are going to be the values that we have as an organization. And then this, these are going to be the values that we want to see in the churches that we help plant. And, and I want you to notice that I said we help plant because North American Mission Board does not plant churches. The church plants Churches. We help plant churches at the North American Mission Board, and so um, he and a group of folks laid out, here are the values that we want to have as an organization, and we want to see the churches that we help plant have. And, And the first one is to seek first the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God. That's a phrase I've been thinking a lot about lately. Seek first the kingdom of God. What does that mean? What is Jesus asking us to do? What we're saying there, and the reason that's our number one value, is we want to raise up church planters, church planning teams, leaders in the church that seek first, number one, as their priority, the kingdom of God. We don't want them seeking first their own platform. We don't want them seeking first uh, their church's numerical growth. We don't want them seeking first their, the, the increase of their church's budget. We don't want them seeking first social media status or fame or power. We want them to be men and women that seek first the kingdom of God. And so I want to begin today by asking you a simple question, and this these are for the current pastors and leaders in the room. How are you doing as a leader of the church? or Let's just say leader of a seminary. How are you doing as a Christian leader at seeking first the kingdom of God? I'm not asking you how you're doing as a Christian seeking first the kingdom. I'm I'm asking you how are you doing as a Christian leader? as you lead the organization that you lead, at seeking first the kingdom of God. As a Christian, hopefully you're doing that. As a Christian, hopefully you're pursuing Jesus first, and you're sharing your faith, and you're walking in holiness, and you're worshiping the Lord, and you're living for His glory. But I want to ask a question. How are you seeking first the kingdom of God in the organization that God has called you to lead? Could people look at you as a leader and say, that's a man, that's a woman that is seeking and seeking first the kingdom of God? Okay, let me read it to you. Let's read what Jesus had to say. Just remind ourselves of what he was talking about when he was talking about this idea of seeking first the kingdom. Matthew chapter 6, verse 28. (laughs) You've read these verses a million times. Zoom in, pay attention, soak in the words of our Lord and Savior. And Jesus said, Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, Even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow, is thrown into an oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Jesus said to his followers, to you, to me, He said, I want the number one pursuit of your life. The number one priority in your life. The number one thing that you're going after, the number one thing you desire, the number one thing that you want, the number one thing that you seek, be the kingdom of God. More than food, more than clothing, more than marriage, more than money, more than a job, more than sex, more than power, more than platform, more than attendance, more than buildings. Jesus said, I want you to go after the kingdom of God and I want it to be first in your life. So, what does that look like as a Christian leader for us to do that i 'll be honest with you guys i 've never i've never fully gotten my mind around what Jesus meant by the kingdom it 's something that i 've spent a lot of time studying uh, primarily because i i don 't live in a kingdom in, in a physical kingdom I live in the united states we 're not um, kingdoms are kind of foreign concepts to us as Americans, and so I, I've never really fully understood what he means by seek first the kingdom, and so I've been studying it lately, and, and one of the things that the Lord used to kind of get my brain around is I started thinking about kingdoms, like real kingdoms in, in the world throughout the years, and you know, if a king wanted, back in the day, whenever there was a king, if he wanted to expand his kingdom, if he wanted to grow his kingdom, then, then what was he talking about? Well, he was talking about expanding and growing the territory that he was the king over. And so if he want to grow his kingdom, he, what he's saying is, I want to grow the area that I, I am king over. I want to grow the area that I rule and that I reign. And so if, think of a king, King Henry VIII. If he, if he got his most trusted men together, and he looked at them and he said, Gentlemen, I want you to seek First, this kingdom. I want this kingdom to be the number one priority in your life. What he would have been saying to them is, I want the number one thing you go after in your life is the pursuit of the expansion of the rule and the reign of my kingdom. And so I think that's what Jesus is saying to us. I think he's saying that that I don't want you to worry about all the stuff that we worry about so much. That we spend so much of our time being consumed on whether or not we're going to have. He goes, I want the number one priority, the number one thing that your heart goes after every day of your life is to pursue the expansion of the rule and the reign of the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I think that's what Jesus is saying to us. Now, here's where I'm going to kind of get to the point of what I'm talking about today. Here's what I'm seeing. And again, this is one of those things that I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here because I saw this attitude kind of creep into my own heart several times over the course of my, my time as a senior pastor. But Here's what I'm seeing, and it's this, that almost every pastor I've met and I've met a lot, starts their ministry seeking first the kingdom. But very, very few finish their ministry seeking first the kingdom. That's what I've seen. Now I'm not listening carefully, I'm not saying that very few pastors finish their ministry not seeking the kingdom. But what I am saying is that very, very few pastors and leaders finish their ministry seeking the kingdom first in their lives. That's pretty rare. Why? Why do so few Christian leaders and pastors and leaders of churches not finish their ministry seeking the kingdom as the number one priority in their life? It's because... Something else takes the top spot somewhere along the way. It's not that they don't care about the kingdom. It's not that they're not pursuing the kingdom. It's not that they don't want to see the expansion of the rule and reign of King Jesus. It's just something else takes the first spot in their life. Whether that's the the first priority in their hearts and lives gets taken over by things like church growth. And buildings, and budgets, and platforms, and the applause of men. And can I just, can I just talk about church growth for a second? Because the temptation of every pastor, whether they would admit it or not, is to grow their church. And growth, growing churches are good things. But can I just, can I just say this? Matter of fact, if you're a, a, a young pastor or future young pastor or leader, I want you to hear this. Maybe if you hear anything else I say, but like. It's entirely possible for you to grow your church and not expand the kingdom of God. It happens all the time. It's entirely possible for you to have a growing church and the whole country applauding you and telling you how great you are and you being convinced that you're expanding the kingdom of God and yet... That is not really the case. So, why? And I and I used to have to remind myself this all the time. Like, why do we want so badly for our churches to grow? Now, there's positive reasons for that. Hopefully, it's people getting saved and all that stuff, but then there's a shift. You know, I, I had to constantly remind myself as a pastor and a leader of a church that that at the end of the day, it was not my responsibility to grow the church. I had to constantly remind myself that, because we would get into conversations about how to get over this growth barrier and that growth barrier, and should we go to more services so more people can come? And all that stuff is great, as long as it's because you're pursuing first the kingdom of God. But I, I had to constantly remind myself it's not my job to grow the church. Jesus was looking at his disciples one day, and he asked him a question. He said, boys, who do, you, who do, who do people say that I am? And they said, well, people are saying you're one of the prophets, Elijah, you're John the Baptist has come back. And then he looked at him and asked him an important question. He goes, who do you say that I am? And Peter spoke first because Peter always spoke first. And, and Peter looked at Jesus and said, well, you're the Christ and you're the son of the living God. That's the right answer, by the way, Amen. He goes, you're the Christ, you're the the Messiah, you're the anointed one, you're the one that the Old Testament prophets were talking about. You are the Messiah. But he didn't stop there. He's like, you're not only the Messiah, but you're the son of the living God. And then Jesus looked at Peter and said, you're right. Flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but our Father in heaven revealed that to you and he said Peter it's upon that rock what's the rock Peter no the confession of people that believe and put their trust in the reality that Jesus is the Messiah and the son of the living god he said upon that rock i will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it it is not your responsibility christian leader and pastor to grow the church of Jesus Christ it's his church he said he'd grow the church. So what is our responsibility? What is our job as leaders? Our job is not to grow our church, but our job is to shepherd the church. Y'all with me? Job's not to grow the church, it's to shepherd it. Those are two different words. As a matter of fact, The scripture is pretty clear that that leaders, elders of the local church are going to stand before God and they're going to give an account. They're going to be held accountable to the Lord, And, and, and they're not going to be held accountable for how many people attended on a Sunday to come hear them preach. But what they are going to be held accountable for is how they shepherded the body of Christ. I'll just read it to you. It's in 1 Peter 5.1. And Peter says this. He says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as the partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Watch what he says in verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight not under compulsion but willingly as God would have you and not for shameful gain that's where things get off the rails right there nobody nobody becomes a pastor thinking man i'm going to get some stuff out of this when i started the church in austin texas i'm telling you i was fully fully prepared to be poor the rest of my life and I didn't care as long as I had Jesus, but then something happened along the way and I started caring about that kind of stuff. Money, numbers, campuses. You and I are not going to be held account for how we grew the church. You're going to be held account for how we shepherded the church. And he says that. He goes, Shepherd the flock of God that's among you, exor- exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you not for shame, shameful gain, but but eagerly. Watch this. He said, Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. That's You're, you're to shepherd it. And part of the shepherd is, is to be an example. And then this is a very cool verse in verse 4. He says, And when the chief shepherd appears... You will receive the unfading crown of glory. I don't know if you've ever studied the crowns in the scripture. I'm full of, there's a room full of seminary professors, and so if I'm wrong, I apologize. You can email Dr. Deucing down here on the on the front row. But the study that I've done on the crowns, I believe there's five. And they and you get crowns when we go to glory. Um, for for different reasons. I don't have time to go through all of them today. But there's one that's just for leaders of the church. And it's the unfading crown of glory. And we're going to get elders of the church and leaders of the church, we receive the unfading crown of, of glory when the chief shepherd appears, and this is what we get it for if we were leaders that shepherded the church of God, not for shameful gain. That's when we get it. And I don't know about y'all, but I want that crown. I'm going to tell you why, because I want to lay it at the feet of Jesus right after he gives it to me. So I'll start landing the plane today by answering this question. What is it what does it look like, pastors, leaders, future pastors, future leaders? What does it look like to shepherd the church, to shepherd the flock of God? What, what's that look like? What's, what are we going to be held accountable for? What's Jesus looking at? And he's, he's watching. Revelation tells us that. Well, I think there's a lot of things, and I'm not going to do a dissertation on, on, on the role of an elder and a leader, but we've we got to care for the people. That's, that's a huge one. Shepherd means to care for them. Means that you guard sound doctrine. That's a role of the the elder. Your job is is to keep wolves from coming in with crazy stuff. And you're to guard the doctrine of the church. That's part of what you do. Your job as a elder of a church and the leaders of church is to preach the word of God, to rightly divide the word of God, make sure that your people's faith is not resting on the wisdom of man, but the power of almighty God. But then there's one other responsibility that the scripture talks about. That you disciple believers. Now listen to me carefully here. This is where we get off, get off track. We disciple believers but the question that I want to propose is what are we discipling Christians for? In the United States of America, in 2024, I almost said 2021, that's how old I am. I'm like, I'm jumping three years at a time, Doc. In 2024, what do y'all see pastors discipling the body of Christ for. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna show you one more verse here where the actually I'm gonna do two real quick. I'm gonna show you what the scripture tells us that as leaders, elders, leaders of the church, what we're supposed to be discipling believers for. Y'all ready for it? It's Ephesians 4:11. And he gave the apostles. The prophets, this is God, gave the church the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and the teachers. Why? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. Did y'all catch that? It is the job of the leaders of the church to equip the everyday believers sitting in the pew. For them to go out the doors of the church and to go and to do the work of the ministry. How powerful, how powerful are these just normal people sitting in our pews? What kind of power do they have access to, to go out the doors and go do the work of the ministry? Well, Ephesians 3.20 tells us, Paul says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can even ask or think according to the power that's at work in the senior pastor. Oh, that's not what it says? What do you say? It says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than anything we can ask or think of according to the power at work in us. When he says us, he means just the stay-at-home mom sitting in your pew, when he says us, he, he's talking about the retired businessman and woman. When he's talking about us, he's talking about the teenage believer. When he's talking about us, he's talking about the fireman and the teacher and the and the dad and the coach. He's, what, what the scripture, the Holy Spirit-inspired Word of God is saying is th- those people sitting in your pews right now, pastor, and the one that are going to sit in your pews one day, future pastor, they have inside of them the power of the resurrection. And I don't think God's grand dream for them was to get saved, get baptized in your church, join a small group, and then spend the next 30 years of their life listening to you preach and working in your parking lot ministry. Some people are going to be called to that, but that is not the pinnacle of the breadth and the expanse of ministry of us who are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And we want to see this country turn around. We want to see the world turn around. I'm going to tell you when it's going to turn around. It's my opinion and my theory. It's when pastors and Christian leaders stop trying to get a bunch of people to come and get saved in their church and stay there the rest of their lives. But when we... Make the transition to try to get people to come to our church and get saved so that we can do what the Bible says, which is to equip them for the work of the ministry and then release them out the doors of our church for the glory of God and the expansion of the kingdom of God. Because last time I checked, that's what we're supposed to be doing, right? Seeking first the kingdom of God. That's what it looks like. In my opinion, to seek first the kingdom of God as a pastor is you get up every day and you be faithful to do what you're called to do, but you let Jesus handle the growth of the church and you worry about doing what he's called you to do, which is to equip them and get them out the doors of your church so that they can see the expansion of the rule and the reign of King Jesus. I'll end with this. I I want to tell you just two super quick stories not Crazy stories. They're just one guy was from the church that I planted, and one guy was from a church that uh, is is currently the pastor still there. And the first one, it's it's the story. I, a guy, I'll just call him Mike. Mike was a fireman, and Mike got saved at this church in the Southern Baptist Convention. God had been planted. The church had been planted by Sin Network, which is super cool. And Mike got saved as a fireman. His wife started going to the church, and he was not a believer, but then he showed up, heard the right preaching of the Word of God, gave his life to Christ. The cool thing about being a fireman, my dad was a fireman, the cool thing about being a fireman is that you work 24 hours, and then you're off for 48. And so you, you, you can do other stuff than just be a fireman. And as Mike began to grow in the Lord, he started studying the Bible and he grew in his faith over the course of several years and ended up just being like the, like the top lay guy in the, in the church. Man, this guy served like crazy. He was faithful to tithe. He was a leader. And they ended up making him an elder of the church. When you're a church planner, Mike was the kind of guy you dream comes to your church. He's the kind of guy that you deep down inside in places you don't like to talk about, you pray he never leaves your church. But Mike had a crazy idea one day. He's like, what if I could, what what if I could be a fireman, but I could also start a church somewhere else in the city that needs it? And I'm going to tell you something that pastor Praise God for him that he sought first the kingdom of God because he equipped that guy and they released that guy from their church and Mike the fireman planted a church. And by the way, Mike, the fireman is still a fireman and Mike, the fireman is seeing a lot of people come to Christ and Mike, the fireman's church has already planted other churches. What if that pastor discourage that. What if that pastor refused to equip Mike? The kingdom of God would not have been expanded in the way that it was. Now, let me tell you about a story that we saw in my church. When I say my church, I mean the church that I planted. It's obviously Christ Church. Don't email me, all right? (laughs) The church that I planted, by the grace of God, in Austin. There's a kid, when I say kid, he's like 40 now, but um, 20 years ago, he was a kid, and he was on our college ministry, and he was just awesome. He was one of these guys, again, that you just are so glad that he's a part of your church plan, served like crazy, he was always there setting up and tearing down, he was always on the prayer team, you know, he would... He was working part time somewhere and that guy would, you know, would tithe off of the 60 bucks he made that month. You know, you get like a $6 and 12 cent check. You knew it was from Jordan, you know, just an amazing, amazing young man. He had a gift of evangelism and he started seeing other college students around the city of Austin come to Christ and he'd bring them to the church and, and then he had a gift of raising up other leaders and he'd see people come to Christ and then he'd raise one of them up and send them out and they would start all these groups and you just saw this this kid at 21, 22 years old, just the ability just to see the kingdom of God expanded through his life and and I was kind of looking at him to be on staff. That's the kind of guy you want to hire, you know what I'm saying? Because our church was growing because of Jordan. But he came up to us and informed us that God had a call in his life to go to India. I wanted so bad to talk him out of it, but we didn't. We did our best to equip him, and we did our best to fund him, and we sent him off, and guys, I, I, don't, I don't have time to go all into it, but I, I want you to understand something. <laughs> a revival broke out through that young man. And when I'm talking about a revival, I'm talking about a revival. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of churches were started as a result of him and his wife's ministry. Tens of thousands, this was 15 years ago. Tens of thousands of people came to Christ within the course of a couple of years that began to multiply, and 15, 20 years later, it is impossible to measure the way that the kingdom of God expanded through this young man. What if I would have talked him out of it? So thankful that in that moment, by the grace of God and by the Spirit, I made the decision to seek first the kingdom of God. What does this mean for you? I don't know, but I know this. I know that I think one of the best, how much time do I got, Doc? Are we good? We got how much? I got three more minutes? All right. I'm going to tell you one more quick story. I saw a video the other day of Tony Evans, Tony Evans' African-American preacher. I think it was like his 47th anniversary as a pastor. Tony Evans is, in my opinion, the greatest living preacher. He's brilliant. Started a church that's grown to several thousand people, has preached all over the world, written 20 something books, just has preached at every conference in the country, has had the most amazing, incredible platform through his life. And here's this old man whose wife just died. He's on his 47th anniversary of the church. They're doing a celebration of the church and of him, and they're talking about all this cool stuff that happened, and he's applauding and doing all everything, and then all of a sudden, everything stopped, and and one by one, they started bringing through the door all the men that had come from his church that were equipped... And that they'd sent out to go be lead pastors of other churches. It's not even talking about staff or anything like that or missionaries. Just, these are just guys that were lead pastors. And, the, and the, they just kept coming and kept coming and coming. And Dr. Tony Evans broke down and cried. And he put his face in his hands. And he couldn't, he couldn't get it together for like five minutes here's my point. As a guy who's no longer a lead pastor, I can attest for this. 50 years from now, you're not going to care. It's not going to mean much to you whether your church grew to 100 or 10,000. It won't, it won't, you won't care. You won't care how many campuses you had. But when it's all said and done, when it's all over and, and you're you're hanging up the Hanging it up as a lead pastor. I'm going to tell you what's going to mean something to you in the middle of the night when you're no longer doing the Jordans of the world are going to mean something to you. The mics, future pastor, future leaders, let's be people that seek first the kingdom of God. Let's pray. I'm going to give you the next step here after we pray, but let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your faithfulness to call us to the ministry. I lift up those in this place that will one day take the torch of the great commission in this room. Lord, I pray and I ask you for your glory and for your mighty name, that they would be men and that they would be women that do not seek the passing pleasures of this life that they would seek first the kingdom of God and all its righteousness so that after that, all that stuff could be added unto them. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.